This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. We have got a, a prominent guest right off the top here, and he is John Roerink. He is publisher and owner of Michigan Information Research Service newsletter, MERS, as it's called. John Roerink, thanks for being our guest. Oh, you're very welcome, Bill. Glad to join you. Well, Ron Weiser, the chairman of the Michigan Republican Party, has gotten himself in a lot of hot water, as I think everybody knows by now, with comments he made a week ago at a meeting of the North Oakland Republican Club calling uh, Michigan's top three constitutional officers the three witches and suggesting that Gretchen Whitmer should prepare herself for being burned at the stake next year. Uh, where is this going? It sounds like the Board of Regents of the University of Michigan, on whose panel Ron Weiser sits, is getting ready to, and they may have already, by the time you and I air this, uh, be censured by the board. Uh, what about all this, in your opinion? Well, I'll tell you, my first reaction was um, just kind of an eye roll because you, you knew, I knew as soon as I heard it, how much it was going to generate uh, to have a male, older white male, uh, chairman of a state party uh, call three uh, top elected females witches and then suggest they should be burned at the stake. Uh, you can't be surprised if he was, in fact, burned at the stake by local, state, and national media. And it was funny. <laughs> Yesterday, I was, out of curiosity, as, we, as I was preparing for, you know, to talk to you about this, I did a Google News search, excuse me, uh, of wiser and witches, and it came back with 200,000 hits, Bill. <laughs> Uh, every newspaper you can imagine, uh, uh, from the Dallas uh, Observer, I think, to the Kansas City Star, to you know Newsweek, Washington Post, New York Times, it was just it went all over the place. Uh, and at first, I thought, well, maybe he just didn't prepare right. You know, maybe he didn't spend enough time going over his remarks and, or have somebody look at him, fly spec him for, for trouble spots. Uh, but lately, I've kind of been wondering if if maybe he didn't insert that line to sort of burnish, burnish his image as a little bit more Trumpy than the GOP uh, uh, conclave thought he was when he, you know when he got elected earlier this year. Yeah, well, John, I think this is really unprecedented. You'd have a state chairman of either major political party also serving on an elected public university board. I mean, the two just don't really go together. And yeah. obviously, Ron Weiser was speaking to the choir of, of Republican activists in northern Oakland County who include a lot of Trump supporters. And I think he was trying to ingratiate himself with them and make sure they understood he's on their side. And uh, that just doesn't square with the way you should comport yourself and how you speak if you're an elected member of the University of Michigan Board of Regents, right? Right, right, absolutely. But, what? you know, the, the meeting they're having today, I think they started at 930, you know, recording this Friday morning, uh, to censure him. Uh, if I was Ron Weiser, I'd probably hang the censure letter or whatever they whatever he receives on my door at the Republican Party headquarters, you know, so everybody <laughs> saw it when they came in. It's kind of almost like a gift for him, if you think about it. Yeah, so you think he maybe actually has helped himself to a great extent, more than 
most people who are not necessarily Republicans think he did, right? Right. I I, I don't think he's losing sleep over it. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Well, no way is Ron Weiser going to resign from the board, I think. Nope. Uh, If you think carefully about that, that would mean there would be a vacancy, and who would fill the vacancy? It would be Gretchen Whitmer, one of the Mm -hmm. three witches that uh, Mm -hmm. Ron Weiser referred to. So I don't think that's going to happen. There are only two Republicans on that board, eight members. Uh, The other six Democrats, I think, maybe unanimously, maybe there's a holdout there, have called for him to resign. Uh, It's going to be kind of awkward uh, for him to continue serving with these people on the board. But, you know, Ron Weiser is a tough guy. Uh, He's been around the barn uh, many times. Uh, He was an ambassador appointed by George W. Bush to Slovakia. Uh, He's a tough, iron-fisted businessman, raises money. I don't think he's going to be scared by uh, six Democrats on the board who don't like him, right? Right. No, the one I feel, the, the person I kind of feel bad about right now uh, is actually Sarah Hubbard, the other Republican member of the board. <laughs> um, you know, she's a lobbyist in town. She's got to work with the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, uh, she's a, a, a great person. I, I know her. I like her a lot. Um, but I'd hate to be in that predicament right now if I were her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to T.J. Bluholz. Uh, who is a, a prominent uh, public relations activist, uh, owns his own firm, Vanguard in Lansing. He obviously has gotten himself into a lot of trouble uh, with uh, charges of sexual harassment by uh, numerous female employees and or interns at his firm over the last few years. Uh, And MERS, by the way, your publication has done some great detective work investigating this so-called pipeline of interns that Vanguard had set up with Central Michigan University, sending uh, young female students down to work in Buchholz firm in Lansing and evidently experiencing some unpleasant uh, either actions or comments or whatever from T.J. Buchholz. Where do you see all this going? Um, I think where I see it going right now is I think there's kind of a, a sorting out. Um, uh, first of all, that you know, the, the, some of the statements in the text that were showed as part of the coverage of this uh, case were just kind of heart-wrenching in a way because uh, long, long ago I had a, a boss who was, wasn't harassing me in that same way but was kind of a menacing personality, and it, and it was awful to go to work with that kind of any, you know, discomfort. Uh, and I'm sure that these, uh, these staffers experience a lot of discomfort, and, and, and I feel bad for that. But I think there's going to be a sorting out for CMU. Do they have any legal exposure? They have. To, if you're a CMU official on the board, you got to be looking at and questioning: Is this our uh, MSU version of the Nasser affair, or U of M version of that Dr. Anderson case? Is this going to be our kind of our moment to deal with something? Uh, I don't know that anything was that you know that serious, uh, as much as it might have been somebody uh, ignored uh, feedback they should have paid attention to. Uh, but I think there's going to be a sorting out. Uh, uh, Matthew Schneider was appointed uh, by the university to investigate the whole matter. Uh, he's a serious character. Uh, we just recently had him on the podcast. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a possible GOP uh, attorney general candidate. 
uh, in a couple of years. Uh, I think he'll do a good job. I think he'll find out what's going to happen. I think for TJ, uh, he's got to be worried about uh, legal liability as well. Some civil cases could be coming out of this. Uh, certainly the news uh, that was, has been generated is enough to make uh, some lawyers and some uh, prior employees who felt harassed contemplate uh, bringing some kind of a civil suit. Uh, so I think we're going to hear more about it. Yeah, um, the CMU board has hired Matthew Schneider, former U.S. attorney, by the way, now in private practice to investigate. And it also involves apparently two faculty members that oversaw this intern program. They're under fire at CMU for uh, apparently not recognizing what was going on or maybe even receiving reports that things like this were going on and doing nothing about it. So I think you're absolutely right. The CMU board recognizes it could have some legal liability, and they're probably very smart to make this move to hire Matthew Schneider. And I got to I got to single out to uh, Samantha Schreiber is our newest employee at MERS, newest reporter. We hired her in uh, I think it was mid December, right after she graduated from the CMU School of Journalism. And we didn't cover the story the day it was breaking. Uh, we were a little short staffed, and um, Elective Blog had come out. Uh, the Free Press already had it. Uh, I think the news had a piece on it already. Uh, uh, so we kind of I don't know about you, Bill, but one of the things I've always hated as a journalist is is being assigned the responsibility of following a story that is breaking everywhere. So we met the next morning and we were trying to figure out, well, what's a unique and different angle? Uh, and Samantha said, she said, you know, when I was intern, I, uh, some some of the female females I was going through the uh, journalism school with warned me away from going to Vanguard uh, wow. for an internship. Wow. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And then she, she also added that she'd heard a staffer had been uh, put on leave over the situation. Uh, so she chased that story down on her own, did a great job. Uh, and, and we were able to break that that evening. Amazing. Listen, we got to take a break here, but we're going to be back with John Roaring, who is the publisher and owner of MERS Newsletter. Stay tuned for John Roaring. Can I say Stalin? You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with John Rorick. He is publisher and owner of MERS Newsletter. Uh, let me ask you, John, um, Virgil Bernero, former three-term mayor of the city of Lansing, who uh, voluntarily uh, relinqu- relinquished his post, didn't run again four years ago, has now said he wants his old job back, and he's running against the incumbent Andy Shore. What do you think about that potential race? <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be a, 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 a boxing match. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, uh, Virgil is a, is a very tenacious politician. Um, uh, I've known him for a long time. I actually worked with him in the, with the House when I was at the House Democratic Communications staff as a page in the 1980s. I don't know if you knew that. but uh, Wow. Uh, so I've known Virgil a long time. Uh, I think he's going to bring it, and I think it's going to be interesting, and uh, it's going to be – I don't usually get excited about Lansing mayoral races, but this one I'm kind of anxious to watch. Well, you know, Andy Shore is a pretty uh, even-keeled, soft-spoken guy. Uh, you know, Virgil is extremely aggressive, and you know he's going to throw some haymakers. Do you think maybe Andy Shore will kind of adopt an old Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope strategy <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just let Virgil flail away and hope that he wears himself out and bombs out and offends people and people decide 
you know what, uh, this shore guy is the kind of nice, steady, quiet guy we like. Uh, that'd be a good strategy. And, and you know, <laughs> the good thing for, for Mayor Shore is, you know, Virgil's uh, tenure, he left some baggage on the ground uh, that can be picked up and utilized by an Andy Shore campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were some departures and some, uh, I think there were some uh, uh, payouts and people that were leaving right at the end there. Uh, I don't remember all the details off the top of my head, but yeah. I bet you I bet you there's some uh, researchers in Shore's uh, campaign that are doing some digging. Yeah. Let me turn to another subject. MERS has written about the Citizens Research Council claiming that uh, $10.3 billion of the American Rescue Plan from Washington, D.C. is coming into Michigan um, out of the $1.9 trillion package that was passed a couple of weeks ago, and that that's going to trigger an automatic reduction of the state's income tax. Uh, That's interesting, particularly since uh, the American Rescue Plan has language in it saying this cannot be used to lower taxes. <laughs> so uh, where is this going? What can happen? Well, uh, we don't know. And, and one thing that I think we clarified yesterday in our edition, uh, we didn't quite make it clear enough, I don't think, in the first story, was that this, this won't really take effect until 2023. Now, what could happen in 2023? We could have a whole new legislature, right? Yeah. I mean, we got redistricting going on this year. We don't know what the districts are going to look like uh, that folks are going to have to run in next year. Um, so, you know, nothing may happen, or who knows? Maybe the Democrats have the, the ability to sort of re- repeal that that provision that was written into law. And remember, this was a, part of a 2015 road package. Uh, uh, it was inserted, and basically, you know, if the uh, state's general fund, which is its primary checkbook, uh, surges enough from one year to the next, then the income tax rate drops from 4.25 to 4.15, and the state's out like $190 million uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, the problem is by 2023, the, 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 the dollars that we're getting for this, uh, from the feds for this COVID aid bill, uh, the bulk of them will be gone. Uh, and the projections are the state general fund is going to return right back to where it was. Uh, and, and if nothing is fixed, apparently it could be uh, less $190 million. Yeah, well, as you so, point out, I mean, Gretchen Whitmer could be reelected, obviously, next year. She'd be governor. Yep. And then let's say the Democrats gain control of both the House and Senate. Uh, they could simply yep. repeal the language in the 2015 law, right? Yep, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things uh, that's going to be fascinating over the next couple of years. Is exactly what does this redistricting commission mean? And, and none of us know yet. Yeah. Well, let me mention something else, uh, and that is this uh, huge package of election law reform bills that majority Republicans have introduced in the legislature this week, containing some measures which you could be absolutely sure. Uh, Governor Whitmer would veto if they ever get to her desk. But the Michigan Republican Party, headed by, guess who, Ron Weiser, and a citizens group have said they are preparing to launch an initiative petition drive, uh, which could place these measures before the Republican-controlled legislature, which could enact them uh, without the need for any action by the governor at all. This has been done before. 
it was done to repeal prevailing wage a couple of years ago uh, over the howls and outrage of minority Democrats in the legislature. Uh, could this happen again? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, it could. Uh, we interviewed Steve Mitchell, a uh, prominent pollster you know, you've known for a long time. He, he contends to get the, maybe get the signatures in a hurry. Um, so it, the question that I have is, okay, let's, let, let, let's play this out. Let's assume they get the signatures. They put it in front of the legislature. The legislature approves it. It becomes state law. Uh, can Joe Biden and congressional Democrats get their H.R. 1 passed? mandating a national standard for presidential elections, and what does that mean when it comes to the rest of these reforms? I don't know. So um, the whole debate, the national debate, uh, what's going on in Georgia, uh, what's going on with H.R. 1, uh, it's really going to be an interesting uh, early 2021 battle uh, to see get played out. Yeah, we don't have much time left, but very quickly, Peter Lucido, former state senator, now Macomb County prosecuting attorney, He's kind of put out a dragnet over in Macomb County, uh, urging people to come forth with horror stories about their loved ones uh, dying in nursing homes as a result of Gretchen Whitmer's COVID-19 policy that placed patients in nursing homes. And Republicans in the legislature have asked uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel to investigate uh, whether the Whitmer policy uh, should be investigated, and she has dismissed that, and she tore into Peter Lucido, said this is an outrage, he's doing this. Uh, you know, various legal scholars have come forward saying Lucido is totally prejudiced, prejudiced against the governor. This would not be a fair investigation. How do you look at all this? Well, it's in a way, I look at it as kind of sad because I think in a lot of uh, instances, uh, both nationally and, uh, and now on the state level, uh, elected officials are increasingly using uh, authorities granted to them by uh, the voters uh, and tax dollars uh, uh, afforded them by the voters uh, to do nothing more than further their political campaign and grind an axe. Uh, you know, Lucido's not the only one, um, but it's going to be interesting, too. I understand that there's been some ethical complaints filed, I don't, if I remember, uh, to see if those play out. Um, I don't think he's going to, you know, put himself in any political jeopardy in Macomb County, but um, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the legal community responds. Well, first of all, you don't know whether uh, Lucido is going to get enough information to feel that he has a case to make right. against the governor. Right. So we got to wait and right. see if that happens. Maybe this will all just vanish in thin air. Listen, we could keep talking about this stuff, but you've done a great job of going over all these issues and providing your insight. Thank you so much, John Roaring, publisher and owner of MERS Newsletter. Great to be with you, Bill. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have another great guest. He is Bob Colt. He is CEO of Colt Communications, and he is a professor of practice in advertising and public relations at Michigan State University. Bob Colt, thanks for being our guest. Well, thank you, Bill Ballinger. It's always great to talk to you. Well, listen, uh, there's some uh, very colorful names in the news the last couple of weeks. We have 
Andrew Cuomo in New York, who's gotten himself in a lot of hot water. We've got Michigan Republican Party Ron Chairman Ron Weiser, who uh, has voiced some three witches comments, which have gotten him in trouble. We've got Virgil Bernaro, former mayor of Lansing, now preparing to run again, uh, who was hit with some charges of sexual harassment, just as he was announcing. We've got T.J. Buchholz. A PR maven in Lansing who has been hit with sexual harassment charges, maybe even Joe the hugger Biden. Uh, and and I would like to ask you, uh, there's something I've heard about, but I don't quite understand it, called apology theory. I mean, what is going on here? Does this somehow relate to all these names I've just mentioned? It does. You know, it's funny that you ask um, because <laughs> I talk about it all the time. At the university, and I probably myself say I'm sorry a dozen times a day. Whether I'm sorry or not, or I've done anything, I'd say I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened to you, whatever. But there's a lot of research about what communicate, communicators call apology theory. And it's not just enough to say I'm sorry. There are several components of it. It's a real social science. And the first thing you have to do is admit that you were responsible for your behavior and what happened. And then you have to acknowledge that there was some harm done and it was wrong. And then you express regret and remorse about any harm done to anyone else. And then you offer to repair the damage, take some kind of action. And then you promise to never repeat it again. So what happens is a lot of people, a lot of politicians say, well, I'm sorry. And it's just not enough. It is, in the studies, it's dramatically less effective unless you do all of those five things in apology theory. Yeah, well, I mean, in the case of Virgil Bernero, what struck me was when those charges first surfaced a couple of weeks ago, I think the first thing he said was, I don't recall any of this <laughs> stuff happening. Uh, I'm not really sure this is valid. And then there was silence for about a week. And then he came back and said, I'm the victim of a smear campaign. Well, I mean, which is it? I mean, uh, does he believe now that he's uh, rummaged through his memory bank that he's dead certain he never did this, so he's being smeared? Does, uh, you know... How How is he faring on that? It's kind of died away. Nobody's talked about it in the last few days since he announced he's running. Well, see, when when you do apologize, you do have to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And he, he said he didn't remember, and maybe he doesn't or has no recall. But when you come back and your strategy is to attack the attack, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just not that effective. I mean, actually, for Verge, there are many things that he could have said that were true about not running for mayor again. I mean, he, he had an uh, elderly father that was getting old. He needed to take care of him, all of those things for not running. But then when all of these things started to come out, um, rather than deal with them in total, he just said, oh, attack them, go after them. <laughs> and that is his, that's his style. I mean, it's. It's true with, um, I think, one of the best apologies, though, and let me get to the best, was Joe Biden. Finally, after all of these issues came up, he, he looked at the camera and he said, I get it. That was about as sorry as you can get. He said to the women, I get it. 
I'm not doing that anymore. And, and people bought it, and they elected him president. It was the best apology he could have possibly given. Yeah, well, what about Ron Weiser? I mean, isn't it almost a paradox or an oxymoron to have the chairman of a major political party also be an elected member of a public university board of regents? Uh, I mean, the two just don't go together. I mean, if you are uh, the chairman of a major party, you're throwing red meat to uh, aggrieved Trump supporters at a political meeting in northern Oakland County, and you want to show them, by God, uh, we're going to go after them in the next election, the three witches, uh, they're going to be burned at the stake. Well, I mean, that just doesn't cut it in the realm of public opinion. You are Uh, so right. And and the, the issue about apologizing or going back on words that you would say is it questions your judgment. You know, if your judgment is bad enough to use those sorts of terms in front of a big audience, um, really, is that the person that we want leading a major university? Is that the person we want leading a political party? Because the Republicans have had several good party leaders who didn't use that kind of language, and they wouldn't attack individuals. Uh, It just is, um, for some reason... People don't get it. <laughs> Bill, you know, when something bad happens, you've got to do a full apology. He, Weisner made an apology, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't recognized by the people that he harmed. I mean, if the governor said, okay, I forgive you, you know, I can see where you made a mistake. But he, he said exactly what he wanted to say, <laughs> and he meant it. So where's the apology? Yeah, absolutely. Um Apology theory, as I understand it, uh, there's a part of it that says it's only half as effective, an apology that is, if it doesn't follow an action, like resigning. (laughs) Yes. Well, okay, okay, it's going to be more effective if you resign, but isn't that the whole point? I mean, none of these people want to resign. I mean, at that point, they don't even really care whether their apology is effective or not, as far as they're concerned. It isn't effective because they've had to resign. Well, and and resigning is one action, but they could also, you know, look, uh, the Pope, for instance, right? I mean, when the Pope had been shot in an assassination attempt, he he actually goes to the the prison where the um, where the guy who tried to assassinate him was, and the guy apologized. Okay, so you know, there, there has to be something more. There has to be more than just you know, saying, I'm sorry, and um, I'll do or I'll quit. Uh, It has to be recognized. The person has to respond. You have to communicate. You have to leave with an understanding that an apology has occurred in some way. So, uh, you know, it it is much more effective if if there's actually action. And I think that's what a lot of PR people don't understand. At Michigan State University, we, we really coach and teach young people, how to strategically respond if you're in a crisis. And all of these guys are in a crisis. Yeah, T.J. Bullholz, the owner of Vanguard uh, Public Relations in Lansing, uh, can he recover from this uh, in your estimation? I mean, how can his firm continue uh, with these charges against him, which, which, by the way, are being investigated right now officially by Central Michigan University and their 
uh, complicity or involvement uh, in these charges. Uh, what do you think? Well, TJ can recover. I don't know if his firm recovers. I don't. I don't think they'll be in business uh, because you know one person sometimes is the firm, um, and this is going to hurt him long term. But I think TJ's mistake was trying to explain it because in the interview that uh, I read uh, with the Free Press, Paul Egan, um, he just tried to explain these things and really. If you're going to say, I'm sorry, and do something about it, that's what needs to be done. You can't sort of explain the circumstance or try to get people to understand it. It's just bad and it's wrong. And, I, you know, he's a very talented guy. I wish him the best, just like Virg Bernero and, and, and Cuomo and certainly the president of the United States. All of these people, something have happened, and either you can apologize the right way or the wrong way. Absolutely. Well, look, Bob Colt, those are great explanations of apology theory. Bob (laughs) Colt, CEO of Colt Communications, professor of practice at Michigan State University. Thanks for being our guest, Bob Colt. Thank you, Bill Ballinger. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with David Forsmark, and he is president and CEO of the political consulting firm Winning Strategies. Thanks for being our guest, David Forsmark. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Look, I'd like to pick up on this T.J. Buhol story, a public relations firm in Lansing, and the trouble he's gotten into with sexual harassment charges and Central Michigan University. How do you look at that whole situation? You know, I think it's, I mean, we're all supposed to be horrified, and, and of course, it's a serious issue. And But, you know, there's pigs and there's predators. And, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I think we've, I think pig is pretty well proven. Um, it was shocking how quick uh, Curtis Hertel severed a 20-year relationship. Um doesn't sound like he thought he was all that surprised by the news. But, you know, it's kind of, there's a coarserish X aspect of this, of just the amateur night. Um, this idea that Lansing is, is some place to troll for, for, for sexual favors and it's this big hotbed, I mean, it's just kind of funny. It's, it's the deadest town on earth. <laughs> and, and this, you know, I mean, politics is, there's an aspect of of, of, of politics and, and people who do this business that it's it's basically sports for dorks, and you know there's these people who never got out of high school, and you know they they couldn't stop a ball when it was rolling and they couldn't play an instrument and they're still mad that girls liked guys who could, and now they've got this you know tiny fish in a even tinier pond mentality that they've achieved something and they're going to, you know, now they're going to be the big man on campus. And uh, it just strikes me as, I mean, and, and, and the, the texts themselves are, are kind of hilarious. And it's, you know, I've never been impressed by the quality of anything that came out of their shop, but that, you know, the text of uh, lay back and show me something. I mean, it just, it sounds like they, they sound like they're written by a twelve-year-old, <laughs> and it seemed like you know Curtis Hertel puts out his 
statement about the unimaginable horror that people went through. And it seemed like there would have been a lot of mocking laughter in response to some of this. Yeah, well, but, let, uh, let, let me ask you about the Central yeah. Michigan University aspect of it. I mean, they're taking this seriously. They've hired former U.S. Attorney Matthew Schneider to investigate. They could have some legal liability, I mean, with this uh, so-called pipeline that Buchholz well, I guess set we'll up. See, I guess we'll see what level the complaints had reached back to them and what they should have known. The one thing we can count on in CMU's recent past is that at least one innocent person will have their career ruined over this because that's just what CMU does. Yeah. Well, let's turn to another very different topic, but related. It's politics. Uh, The governor's race next year. Uh, What's going on in your opinion? Uh, Can Gretchen Whitmer be beaten? Oh, there's a, there's a deep well, there's a deep, deep well of anger at, uh, at Gretchen Whitmer. And it's a lot of it, I, I th- we've still got a problem with polling. Our problem with polling we had last last uh, fall was, I believe, the bubble was the people hiding in their basements. But you know, who are the ones who, who you know, the, the people hiding in their basements are afraid, or the ones who are answering their landlines. And when I, I mean, polling was just horrifyingly um, bad, and probably had about a twenty percent pro Democrat bias in it last fall. Every race I was involved in, you know, Ryan Berman was supposed to lose. He won by 3,200 votes. Dave Martin, you know, the, the GOP walked away from him because um, he was down 15. We won by 600 votes and on and on and on. Um, but there is a deep, deep well of resistance. Walk into any bar and, and, and just say the name. Uh, walk into any sports event, uh, high school sports event, and say the name. You, it's, there's... Yeah, she can be beat, and the she just there's just too many people who have been affected too poorly for no reason. Yeah, but the Republicans don't seemingly have anybody. Well, I don't know if they don't have anybody. I mean, I I don't know if it's the perfect time. I wish you know, I mean, maybe take one one election off, but here we are. But it sure looks like John James is running for governor. Oh, that's um, that's interesting. What about Lisa McLean? If uh, reapportionment no. doesn't look good to her, might she run? Uh, who knows? Um, you don't necessarily think she would be a strong candidate. I mean, she just got here. She she didn't uh, she didn't do great with the uh, post election. Um, you know, uh, getting on with Cindy Powell, Cindy Powell and all that. Uh, I don't think she helped herself a lot. And if she's just jumping because she doesn't like her her reapportionment, uh, that's not a you know that's not a great rationale. I think if you want something out of Macomb County, the Republicans' best best hope would be if uh, you know they could get Mark Hackle to switch parties. Well, yeah, I mean, he signed on to unlock Michigan. There's no he has no incentive to be a Democrat in Macomb County. None. The uh, every countywide race that had a legitimate candidate in it went Republican. And even some that he, he could argue maybe even did, didn't have great candidates and went Republican. The uh, there's uh, he you know like I said he signed on to unlock Michigan. He needs an excuse to jump. It's a no uh, lose proposition for him because it's his off season for running. 
Um, <laughs> even if he lost, at least it would have been, you know, he'd have, he'd have jumped over principle and nobody could hold it against him. Yeah. Well, John James apparently has a poll uh, being done uh, by, I don't know what, robocall or phone or whatever. And part of it is, uh, should John James run against Gretchen Whitmer or against Elissa Slotkin in the eighth congressional district? So I always wanted, I always wanted him to run for for Congress from day one, from the minute he got in. If he had run in the eleventh or the eighth, he would be the Congress. You know, he would be the member of Congress from that from that district. But what is what does the eighth or the eleventh even mean anymore? Yeah, we don't know because we don't know what the independent commission is going to come up with, the lines, whether Slotkin's district will even exist, whether she'll be thrown in with Haley Stevens and a neighboring district. I mean, the whole thing is uh, kind of up for grabs. Yeah, what, it's really hard to see Stevens not being thrown in with somebody. Yeah. Just, just, just the, you know, where she lives, where the, where the population has to go, um, it's really hard to see her not being thrown in with either Levin or Slotkin. What about Peter Lucido over in Macomb County, uh, not necessarily running for governor, although I think he'd love to at some point, uh, and his uh, dragnet that he's put out to come up with uh, accusations, uh, if there are some, about the way people died in nursing homes in Macomb County because of COVID-19 policies of Gretchen Whitmer, if in fact they are linked and he would have to make a, de- a decision on whether to press charges. Uh, Dana Nessel, the attorney general, has been asked to investigate. She's brushed all of that off, and she's attacked Lucido and legislative Republicans for even suggesting it. What do you think about that? Well, Dana Nessel um, is prosecuting uh, Rick Snyder for making bad governmental decisions. Um, so I don't see how she can say one, one should be prosecuted and the other should not or at least investigated. I mean, brushing off an investigation, but that's, you know, that's, that's Dana Nessel. Um, as far as the, the COVID investigation, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, and one of the other, one of the other aspects of this, um, I've been, I've been in contact with a journalist named Gretchen Hammond, whose work everybody should, should look up. She has a series called the fortress on the Oakland County, uh, probate court when it comes to guardianships and nursing homes in the, in the scam. Everybody's paying attention to it now because of this movie um, called I Care a Lot on Netflix and uh, Rosamund Pike won a Golden Globe for the, her performance in it. Um, but, you know, people are, people, people are, are being consigned to nursing homes before they, they even know anybody's even worried about their condition. Somebody shows up at their house and says, I'm your guardian. And two years later, their their estate is gone, and they're you know a week later their house is on the market, and they're drugged to the gills in a nursing home. Well, some of these people, at least 500 of these people, were placed by guardians in Oakland County in in uh, nursing homes that were already hotspots for COVID. Right. Well, so I'm your guardian. I'm showed. I'm I'm showing up to uh, to. Uh, Put your, your best interest, and your best interest is, is to be uh, is to be uh, confined to a COVID hotspot from your home. Wow. Well, look. So uh, there all, there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on with nursing homes and 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 the industry and the courts and 
how people are, are, are confined to them that, that's, that's really making a, a, some big splashes right now. Yeah. Listen, I could keep on asking you questions about other issues, but we're out of time. I want to thank you, David Forsmark, President and CEO of Winning Strategies. Thank you for being our guest. Thanks, Bill. We'll be back next week with still more.